Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. This first part, I'm just going to lay a little bit of context here. And this is Jesus. He's continuing his preaching ministry, his teaching ministry. And a crowd of people had started to gather. And out of that crowd, the, uh, we'll read how there was a crowd of disciples. And out of that crowd of disciples, he calls out a few apostles, the 12 apostles. And so here's verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain, this is Jesus, to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he had named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Take a little pause there. So here's the lay of the land. Here, Jesus is continuing his preaching ministry. And there's, just as I mentioned, people are starting to hear about this young man, this young rabbi who's going around. He's making his rounds around, around Israel. And he's teaching something so unique, something so revolutionary that people are coming, to, uh, coming out to see him. They're coming out from around 50 miles away. I mean, they're making journeys. And 50 miles to us today seems like nothing. But to them, it was a day's journey or even more. For them, it was arduous. It was a, a big commitment to make that journey to come see Jesus. Jesus was the trending topic at that point. People were talking about him. People were trying to figure him out. People were trying to understand him, comprehend him. And so there were the people who just wanted to see what the attraction was all about. There were people who had started to respond to what Jesus was saying. There were people definitely who were against what Jesus was talking about. And there were people who were starting to buy in. They were starting to commit themselves. And, and so Luke here, he's breaking them up into three categories. First, you had the great multitude. The great multitude, they came. And for all these different reasons, whether it was just to see, whether it was just, to, uh, uh, it was just to, for the fellowship, whether it was just to have their sicknesses healed, whatever the reason was, they were there. And then you have this other section of people called the crowd of disciples, so it's not just a small group of people. It was a crowd. These are people who had, they said, you know, he's, he's worth following. I think we should pay attention. I think we should, we should follow him and see where this goes. And so these are people with a little more buy-in. And then out of that, uh, that group of people, Jesus pulls out his disciples. And now you have the 12 of them. And so there are different groups of people with different levels of buy-in. There are different levels of commitment all here listening to Jesus. And now the other part of the context is uh, Luke talks about Jesus coming to the plain. Now, most of us, we've heard of the Sermon on the Mount, where it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and Jesus is on the mountaintop, and he's preaching, and he's giving all these, uh, uh, these parables and teachings, and we're so familiar with that. But here we have the Sermon on the Plain. 
again, a little bit of theological insight. People are not really sure if they're the same thing. You know, it's not like preachers don't use their best sermons more than once, right? It, um, sometimes some people think it was two different, th- two different times and two different places, although the context is somewhat the same. So today we're going to be on, in the Sermon of the Plain, and for the next few weeks we're going to be in this chapter, just looking at what Jesus was saying. And here's what we think he's saying. Here's how you build your life. Here's how to build an unshakable life. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. And today, I want to talk about the first thing, but I want us to go towards the end of the sermon. And the end of the sermon is this. He asks this one question. In verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I ask you to do or tell you? All right. Take a moment to think to yourself, who's he talking to? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Who calls him Lord, Lord? The people who are following him. The people who've actually bought in. Because in that context, the word Lord, you don't use that word lightly. You use that word because there was some sort of, there's some endearment towards that, the person that you're calling that, that, that title. It was not just a name, it was a title. A title that meant that person had authority. He had rule. He had a say in how you lived your life. And so for someone to stand up and say, you're my Lord, and to say it twice, you're my Lord, you're my Lord, definitely showed a commitment. So what he's talking to, he's not talking to unbelievers here. He's not talking to the general public here. He's talking to church people. He's talking to people who, who come in and hear the sermons. They fill the pews. They, they're here every, every Sunday. They're here during the week. They're listening. They're listening to Right Now Media. They're listening to sermons online. They're listening to people. They're just doing the Bible studies. They're listening and they're talking and they say, Lord, Lord. There is a profession of faith from their mouths. They claim that Jesus is Lord. But the second part of this question or this phrase is what we have to think about. It's a little bit like a test. It's a little bit like visiting your doctor and he's examining you and he's saying, there's something wrong here. You say I'm your Lord, but you don't do what I tell you. There's a disconnect. There's some dissonance here. We all know people like that, right? We know of scenarios where they say one thing, but they do another. You see, a disciple literally follows someone in hopes that they will become like that person. So they say the same things. They do the same things. They follow in that capacity. And so for a disciple, for Jesus to look at his disciples and say, you're calling me Lord but you're not following it up with what you do. It's a common occurrence in our own world. We see people who, who take on roles and who, who, have, who, who say, hey, they stand for something, and then the news media finds different places in their lives that they really did not. 2005, some of you know the, the name Charlize Theron. If you don't know, she's an actress, and she's pretty famous. She's a celebrity. And she had a, she had a multi-million dollar deal with Raymond Wilde, the watches, the luxury watches. 
And so her deal was, hey, you're going to be our spokesperson. You're going to wear it wherever you go. And so she agreed. She took the money, and she was, she was doing their commercials. But one day, the media found her wearing their competitors. They're wearing Dior watches. And to her, she said, hey, I like wearing Dior watches. But the contract stated, hey, you had to... You had to wear this watch. You had to be the spokesperson for this brand, yet she was doing something else. LeBron James, before the 2015 NBA Finals, he was the spokesperson for Samsung phones. Samsung phones, at that point, he was having some trouble with them. And so right before the NBA Finals, before his team was to get there, uh, at a team meeting, he brought them all together, and they were all relaxed, and they are all bonding, and he hands every one of them out Apple Watches. A $100 million contract to sponsor Samsung, or for Samsung to be, or for him to be his, their spokesperson, but yet he's handing out Apple Watches. And you see, there is a disconnect. Yes, we take it in. We may have our motives. Yes, it, for them it was money, or them it was the fame, or whatever, the exposure. We often do that in ourselves. It, we may not have multi-million dollar contracts on the line, but we kind of do that ourselves, don't we? We say we want to do something, or we sign on the dotted line, and we live a certain way. What does it mean to call Jesus Lord? Now, let me say something foundational here. You see, Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet don't do the things that I tell you? What, we're, what he's not telling you is don't call me Lord. He's not saying that. What, we're not, what, we're, what I'm not doing today is attacking the profession of our faith. When I say the profession of our faith, our, our verbal profession of our faith. Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth, there is a step there where you make that verbal confession, that's salvation. That's how salvation comes to a person is that you believe in him and you make that verbal confession. Yes. It is important. It is a part of who we are. When he's writing to the Corinthian believers, Paul is writing this, that Jesus is Lord. And for us to be able to say Jesus is Lord with any integrity or reality, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So for any one of us to say Jesus is Lord, it is only by the help of the Holy Spirit. So there is the work of God behind it. There is the work of God for us to be able to say Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I accept that what he has done for me. There is a profession of faith that is crucial to our Tradition that is crucial to our faith, that is crucial to who we are as Christ's followers. We say it with our mouths that he truly is Lord. However, what Jesus is saying is this. It is possible, it is distinctly possible to say the words, but not to do the things. And there, he says, is the disconnect, is the dissonance in the Christian. 
We all know people or we ourselves have been that way where we say, yes, Jesus is Lord, and yet we live based on our morals, based on our views, our perspectives. We do things, and this last year was an incredible example of how our personal preferences took the step before what the Bible called for. And we saw that all around us, especially in our politics, we saw that in our health, we saw that all over the place. And what Jesus is calling for is before you decide how the world wants you to live, before you decide how you want to live, the question is, how does he want you to live? The question is, what are the words he's telling you? Because if you're going to say, Lord, Lord, a part of saying, Lord, Lord, a part of that phrase is the life that follows it. An unshakable life. How do you attain that? An unshakable life is built on an unshakable foundation. Well, let's continue. This is how he says in verses 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Here's the defining characteristic of the one who, of the disciple of Christ. Jesus is illustrating his question with a point. He asks this question, and he says, you know what, you're not going to answer, I'll tell you. Let me, let me define for you what a Christian is, what a Christ follower is. A Christ follower is one who comes to me, hears my words, and then goes out and does it. It's as simple as that. You hear my words, you say, yes, Lord, and you just go live it. It's as though you have two neighbors, and you see these neighbors, and they've decided they have these plots of land right outside in your neighborhood, and they're starting to build. They both have the same exact blueprint of what they want to build, identical houses, and they start building. And as the days go by, you see that one house, he's taking forever. He's digging, and he's digging, and he's digging. He's going deeper and deeper, while the other guy, he's already got the frame up. This guy is still laying foundation when the, the other guy is already laying the ceiling tiles and he's laying the shingles and he's doing all of that and the windows are going in and the doors are going in and the carpet's being laid and this guy is still inside the ground. You'd look at that and go, well, that's inefficient. And if that was the contractor I'd, I had to hire, I'd go with the second guy because apparently he knows how to put up a house quickly. The first guy is still building. The second guy is sipping lemonade on his, on his porch. There's a difference there. They build at a different pace. And Jesus says this. You see, at the end of the day, when the work is completed, both houses look beautiful. They look almost identical. 
Both of them are enjoying their life. Both of them have their families moved in. They're doing life as life goes. And then the storms come. The rain starts pouring. The stream starts rising. One house stands and the other collapses. And you know where this is going. One had the foundation, the other did not. See, how you build your house matters. Every choice in design and materials matter. We're taught this from an early age. How many of you remember the three pigs? There we go, we have a few. The three pigs, you know the story of the three pigs. The three pigs set out, and they're setting out on life, and one of them, he's a little bit lazy, and so he builds his house out of straw. The second one goes out, and he builds his house out of wood. And the third one builds his house out of brick. The third one puts the time and the effort and the, and the labor into it and builds it. And you know the story and how the wolf comes up. He huffs and he puffs and he blows, uh, blows the first house down. He huffs and he puffs and he blows the second house down. He huffs and puffs and the third house stands. How you design, how you build matters. Maybe you've seen pictures or you've actually visited the, to- the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Or maybe you've even visited the Millennium Tower in San Francisco. If you don't know that story, let me tell you. The Millennium Tower is a luxury tower. An average condominium there starts at 10 million. Now, back in 2009 when they were building it, they built it quickly, they built it well. It was a beautiful building. As a matter of fact, celebrities and people still live there. It's a beautiful place to be. But what it's been doing Since 2009, it's been sinking. Between the years of 2009 and 2015, it sunk 16 inches. And not only is it sinking, it's starting to lean northwest. Now, you you don't need an architectural or a civil engineer or anyone to tell, there's something wrong with this building. And before long, that building's going to fall. When all the engineering reports came back, the report said this. They went 80 feet down into the ground, and they hit the sand, and they thought that was enough, and they built the, house, the, the tower there. What they should have done was dig even deeper, gone 200 feet where they would have hit the bedrock. That bedrock was solid. What they built on was sand. And now here you have a leaning, sinking tower. How you build matters. See, everyone understands this. We know this. I mean, maybe you've tried to put up a mailbox or maybe you've done some projects that are on the yard. You know that for some stability, you got to go deep. You got to put the effort into digging out the soil and putting in the foundations. In the story, one spared no expense. He went deep. The other spared expenses. He built as quickly as he could. I'd like to say that all of us sitting here, we've put in the time and the effort to put in those foundations. But if Jesus were here today, standing on this platform, I wonder if he would say the same words, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Because there are people in this room, and I I can tell by experience, that we've done the surface work. It looks pretty. 
We all attend the same service. We all hear the same sermons. We all say amen and we say yes, Lord. But the moment we step out these doors, our lives are so different. you were to pull people from the outside and say, hey, look at Mount Hope. Look at the people who attend here. They'll probably look at it and say, all, their, all of their lives look the same. They're identical. They look great. They're, they all say they're Christians. They, they, they live great lives. But Jesus is saying, look under the house. Because you see, there is a difference on how the house is built. On the outside, it's great. It's beautiful. It's built. It looks wonderful. But what's under matters. The unshakable life is built on an unshakable foundation. The foundation we built our lives on, let me, do, let me tell you this, it's simply this. It's Christ and his word. We build our lives our fir- on this firm foundation that is Christ and his words to us. You see, there are a couple of actions involved in this. Jesus is saying, it's like the man who dug, who came and he heard the words and he dug deep. See, digging involves removing things that don't belong. It involves removing the rocks and the roots and the, and the junk that is in the ground that would prevent a good solid foundation going in. As Christians, that is what we're called to do. We're called to dig deep into our lives. There are things in our lives that we're called to repent of. There are things in our lives that we're called to remove, that we're called to purge from our lives. There are things in our lives, relationships in our lives, things that we've done, our failures in the past, things that we've said, things that we have to reconcile before you can put the foundation Ever tried planting a plant without actually removing the soil? But before removing the rocks? It goes nowhere. It'll die quickly. Same thing. That's what Jesus is saying. Dig deep. In the life of the, in the, life of the Christian, the Holy Spirit is going to show you as you hear the word, as you encounter the holy words of Jesus himself, he's going to show you the places in your life that need to be fixed, the places that need your attention, the places in your life that you need to repent, the places in your life where there are hidden iniquities, hidden sins. And Jesus is saying, the wise man digs it out. The wise man addresses it. The foolish man just builds right on top of it, never actually going down deep. The foolish man will just build a magnificent structure over this, never really dealing with it. And then he builds the foundation. See, that's what Christ does. He builds that foundation in us while removing, while extracting, while excavating out of our lives the things that are broken and the things that are unsightly and the things that are against who we should be he builds that foundation and that foundation is this when you hear the word of god you respond the foundation is this when you hear jesus say do this you do it that's the foundation we build our lives on the crowds of people came to see jesus They all came with different attitudes. They came with different desires. Some came just to claim, hey, I was there. They checked in and said, saw Jesus, great. 
Some came in because they knew Jesus had power coming out of him. And so they would be healed and they got healed and they went on with their lives. Some came to hear an interesting talk. Some came for the spectacle. Some came for the worship. Some came for the music. Some came for just the fellowship. The question is, why are you here today? You see, what Jesus is doing to those disciples, to the crowd of disciples, he's saying, why are you here today? Because if you're here just to hear a good talk, you've lost it. You've lost your way. You've no, you have no right to call yourself a Christ follower if that's all you're here for. A Christ follower hears and does. What does digging and what does building that foundation look like in your own lives? Today as we come to a close, what, let's take a moment to consider that. See, drawing closer to him, drawing closer in our daily disciplines, that's a part of our foundation building. Listening to him, responding to him, addressing the things that he's calling us to address, that's a part of foundation building. Loving those around us, loving those we claim are our enemies, loving them, that's a part of foundation building. Doing the things that are hard, but yet Jesus calls us to do. That's the foundation building. Coming to Jesus. This is what he says, come to me. All of you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's saying, come to me. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to me. That's part of your foundation. When you come to him every day, regardless of your circumstances, you're saying, Lord, you are my Lord. Lord, you are my God. See, the question is concise. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? The illustration is clear. There are no, there's no ambiguity in it. The application is absolutely crucial. You see, if any one of us is going to live a life labeled Christ follower, this is how we do it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will do what I tell you. That's as simple as it is. So often, it becomes so complicated in our lives. It becomes complicated because we try to do it on our own strength. It becomes complicated because we try to justify our way through it. It becomes complicated because we find ways to navigate through it when Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is right here for you. So all we do is, yes, Jesus tells me I'm not able to do it. I rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells me I'm not able to do it. I rely on his strength. I rely on him. Because that's what we're called to do. The sermon this morning, the question this morning, it's an invitation, but it's also a challenge. It is a challenge. Consider how you're living. It's way more important than what you're going to have for breakfast or who you're going to spend your life with or who you're going to marry or the house that you're going to buy or the career you're going to, uh, that you're going to pursue. It's way more important. This affects eternity. 
Because in Matthew chapter 7, there's a very similar passage where he says there will be people at the final day when you come to, come to him face to face at the final throne of judgment and, he sa and you say to him, Lord, Lord, I, I said this and I did this and I lived this way. And he says, depart from me because I never knew you. How you live matters, not just here and now, but into eternity. See, Jesus is clearly talking to people who are church people. He's clearly talking to people who have said, Jesus, you are my Lord. It's not enough for us to profess, but instead, he's looking for our actions as well. Do we come to Jesus simply to get what we want and miss what he wants us to get? It's easy to do that coming into this church Sunday morning. It's easy to come in and say, you know, this is, this is a great sermon for this person. It's a great sermon my wife needs to listen to and walk away. And if you've done that, you've missed it. So let's take a moment to consider the foundation. Because here's the reality of it all. The storm is coming. If you've lived for any amount of time, you know this, that there is either you're headed into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. You're one of those three. The storm is coming, and how you build your life matters. John Piper, in a, in a book he wrote this last year about coronavirus and Christ, he writes this story from his own personal experience, and he says this. When he was diagnosed with cancer, he was one day at his doctor's office, and the doctor said, hey, let's do an ultrasound. And so the doctor stepped out, and he was gathering up his equipment, and, and Piper sitting there, he had changed into his robe, and he's had some time to think. And the scripture that he had memorized came back to him. Scripture that he hadn't thought about in a while. First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And immediately he says, it was like the Lord was saying, whether your trial leads to life or to death, you're with me. You see, our storms will come. And sometimes those storms will be costly. Sometimes the storms will cost us everything. But the question is, will you still be standing? Question is, at the end of the day, when you face Jesus, will he bring you in and say, well done, faithful servant? Or will he utter those words, no one wants to hear, depart from me for I don't know you. The storm is coming. You see, the storm reveals the quality of our build. An unshakable foundation weathers the storm. An unshakable life requires an unshakable foundation. Has life shaken you? Do you feel broken up and do you feel like you're unsettled? Well, time's not lost. You have the moment today. Come to him. Come to him. You feel heavy, you feel burdened, come to him this morning. Take a moment before, before you leave. Please don't leave here not having dug deep, not having done the work. 
please don't come into the sanctuary next week not having done this your whole week. Take time to dig deep and to build strong. One of the ways we listen to Jesus and to his words is when we come to this table, when we come to take communion together. And today we don't have a table right here, but we do have these little cups that you were handed. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and one of the, one of the ushers will get them to you. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He received from Christ. He hands it down to us. This is what he says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We follow him. We hear the words that he speaks to us, and we do it. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And as a body, we come together, taking a moment to consider our own frailty, to consider the reason why this body was given to us. Considering why we sit here, considering why we come together. It is because of our brokenness, it's because of our sinfulness that he gave up his own body. And he says, eat of this bread. And every time you eat it, remember the body that I gave for you. Let's take of the bread together. In the same way, he also took up the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take of the cup together. close this morning. The team's going to lead us in one more song, and if you have kids, I'm going to dismiss you to go pick, pick, the, pick up your kids from kids' ministry, but for the rest of us, let's take some time to consider what we're building, to consider the foundation we're building. What does your build look like? What does the underneath of the house look like? Because it matters. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus' words to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would see through us. Lord, even as we heard this morning in the prayer that Elaine reminded us, Lord, search us. Open our hearts and remind us of the things that we need to work on. Help us to dig deep. Help us to dig deeper into your word, into our soul, and to and to fix those things that you're calling us to fix, to address the things that you're calling us to do. And Lord, to build, to respond, to respond to your word, to respond to your commands in our lives. Lord, help us. It may be a simple message, but it's a hard-lived message, Lord. And Lord, help us. Give us wisdom. Give us the ability as we go into this week to live that out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.